Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I want to welcome you here. My name is Matt. I'm Matt Glezos. Um, some of you may recognize me. Uh, some of you may not. That's, that's totally fine. Uh, for those of you who do, you may remember me from uh, back in the early days of the shore, the North Shore campus. Uh, my wife Dawn and I and our family were part of the launch team, and so we spent a number of years here on the North Shore uh, being part of this church and, uh, and loved those years. God did a lot of amazing things in our lives during those years. Uh, since then, we have uh, planted a church in the Tri-Cities area called Tri-City Church. And so uh, this fall is coming up on our, our fourth fall where we have been open. And so it's great to be back. I was thinking, I think it's been like four years since we've been here. I, we were in the theater. You were in the theater when we were here last. And so uh, this is new. This is great. If you're tuning in online and I haven't seen your face, sorry that I couldn't uh, say hello to you this morning. But I am very thankful to be able to come and bring the word to you. Uh, I'd love to pray before we begin. Uh, just to give you a heads up, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. So if you have a Bible or you want to turn there, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 54. So uh, let me pray for us, and then, uh, and then we'll get to it. Uh, Lord Jesus, we are thankful to be able to come together. Uh, I'm thankful to be here, Lord. I'm reminded of all the, the important things, uh, Lord, that you taught me uh, through the ministry of this church and through the leadership here. And, um, and so, Lord, I pray for this church. I pray, Lord, for this time of transition, Lord, that you would be uh, bringing uh, clarity and conviction and guidance uh, to the minds and hearts of, of those who call the shore home. I pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, you would speak to us today. I pray specifically for, for all those that are listening, all those that are tuning in, uh, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us more fully through your word and through your spirit. And uh, I pray you'd help me, uh, in spite of my own sin, in spite of my own failings, uh, to be of help by your grace and by your power. And so, Lord, give us um, open ears and open hearts, and, uh, and please lead us closer to yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I want to begin this morning uh, by reminding us of, um, of one of humanity's uh, many flaws. We have a number of them. Uh, there are a lot of ways, as I'm sure you know, that we can mess up uh, the world and our lives. Big picture, small picture, we can, we can do a number. Uh, for lots of reasons, but the one uh, particular flaw that I wanted to start with today is our tendency to focus on the wrong things. In our lives, in the world, again, big picture, small picture, I mean specifically that we tend to put a lot of time and energy and effort into things that are like really not that important in, in the grand scheme of things. And at the very same time, we, we tend to ignore some of the more significant issues in our lives, the things that have real consequences. So let me give you an example of what I mean by this, a very practical example, kind of a sad example, one that I've seen many times in marriage, uh, both for, for husbands and wives, but I think I've seen it more for husbands. In fact, I can think of a few uh, just in my mind of men that I've met with that had this problem. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you just a general example of what I've seen. I've met husbands uh, who excel in pretty much every area of their lives except their marriage. So uh, at home, things are not going very well. I mean, there's, there's tension in the home, to put it, to put it mildly. There's um, a low level of trust, a low level of intimacy with their wife. Uh, there are arguments that, that tend to go unresolved for, for, for months and even, and even years. There's really no depth of relationship there, and yet, at work, everything's going great. I mean, at work, 
the team that this man leads, they think he's fantastic. I mean, at work, this man has amazing interpersonal skills. He's able to help resolve conflicts. Um, he's able to help his you know, team to lead them through, persevere through adversity and difficulty. There's this huge discrepancy between, between work and home. Now, you, you may say, and I think fairly, look, Matt, um, you know, relationships at home are way harder than they are at work, which I think we know. I mean, at home, uh, no one is getting paid, for one thing. No one is on their best behavior. No one gets quarterly reviews and encouragement and raises. It's, it's harder at home. It totally is. But it's also much more significant. I mean, um, a job is just what we do. Our family is, is part of who we are. It's part of our lasting legacy. And so it's, it's astounding that so many people, husbands and wives, will put their energy and effort into the less significant aspects of life and yet keep their head in the sand when it comes to things that are really important. Why is that? Why is it that we as human beings tend to very often focus and put our energy into, into the wrong things? That's the question that Jesus has for us today. Uh, but he doesn't just focus on marriage. He focuses on life in general. In fact, he's speaking to a group of people and he basically calls them out for paying attention to the superficial things of life but ignoring the deep, eternally significant problems that are on the horizon. We're gonna see that Jesus has some, some hard words for, for the people in front of him and by extension, some hard words for us. Uh, words about the nature of our heart words about the focus of our life, words about our tendency to miss what is really important. So imagine, if you would, that, that husband that I described a moment ago. Imagine that he has a, a best friend, a really good friend who knows him really well, sees the situation, and he asks him out for coffee. And, and it's not just to chat. This best friend is going to sit this guy down and have a real heart-to-heart -heart talk, kind of grab him by the shoulders and shake him and say, Look, think about what you're doing in your life. That's the kind of word that Jesus has for us today. There's going to be three points. I'm going to warn you in the front end. The first two, very negative. Third one, very positive. So hang in till the, till the end. Um, so here's our first point. First point, we are hypocrites, exclamation point. We are hypocrites, exclamation point. I wouldn't say it except that Jesus says this very thing. And so I'd invite you to look to um, Luke 12. Starting in verse 54, we're going to do the first three verses. Uh, Jesus, speaking to a crowd of people, here's how it goes. Jesus, he also said to the crowds, Jesus said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? We'll pause there, it's a section of our, of our text this morning. So notice here that Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, uh, not just his disciples, not just the religious leaders, but a whole bunch of people that have been following him, he's been teaching them for a while. And notice, as I said, that he calls everyone a hypocrite. So a couple questions, why are they hypocrites? And secondly, are just they hypocrites or are we hypocrites as well? So first question, why? Why does he call them this? Well, let's trace the argument. Uh, he begins by talking about the weather. So obviously they don't have Doppler radar back then, but they did know how to interpret the sky. In fact, what Jesus describes there is true to this very day uh, in Jerusalem, in Israel. If you go there and you look out over the west and there's a cloud coming in, more than likely it means rain. 
because it's bringing moist air from over the Mediterranean. Every, everyone knew that. If there was wind blowing from the south, it would feel just like it feels right now, scorching heat. Uh, everyone knew that wind from the south came across the desert, and so it, it, meant, it meant heat. Everyone knew how to interpret these everyday details of lives, of their life. So why are they hypocrites? Well, they're hypocrites because they did not apply the same thoughtfulness and effort into figuring out the winds of spiritual change that were blowing at that time. See, there were massive events on the horizon, and most, you know, particularly the cross was coming up. Jesus was on his way there to Jerusalem, but the people, they were oblivious. And so what Jesus is saying here is, look, if you can interpret the signs of the sky, you should be able to interpret the signs of what God is doing right now in a major way. So what were they missing? Clearly what Jesus is saying here is that there's something that you are missing. What are some of the important things that they should have been paying attention to? Here's a couple. Uh, by that point, they should have been paying attention to the uniqueness of Jesus just as a person. Everyone who met him came away with the impression that he was, he was remarkable. He was unlike any other person they'd ever met. Remember the woman at the well, just after a conversation with Jesus, she went away saying, this man, he, he told me everything about my life. I mean, everyone who met him came away thinking, he knows more about me than I know about me. Others said that he taught like, like no one else they'd ever heard, with authority, with wisdom, with insight. His ethical conduct was absolutely perfect. I mean, he always did and said the absolute perfect thing. Just imagine for a moment if we had a public figure today that always said the right thing and did the right thing. It would be astounding. It would be amazing. It would be a miracle. And Jesus, in fact, did miraculous deeds. Filled with, filled with power, filled with compassion. He claimed to be divine. All of this should have made people scratch their heads and think to themselves, now what's going on here? Like, could it be that that this guy actually is the Messiah? Could it be that God is doing something here? They should have been puzzling. They should have been interpreting Jesus after their experience with him. Another thing they should have remembered is that the people of God, the Israelites, they had a history of rejecting the prophets of God, like all through the Old Testament. Uh, the prophets that would come in the name of the Lord, very often they stoned them, threw them in wells, didn't listen to them, went a different, different way. There's a lot of opposition. What Jesus tells them is that, look, this very same thing is happening with me. Now, here's what he says just a little earlier. This is Luke 11, 47 to 48. He says this, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. What Jesus is saying is, look, you're acting just like your forefathers. They didn't listen to the words of the prophets that God sent, and you are not listening to me. And the people at the time, like they should have sort of looked around and realized, man, the same sort of thing is happening to Jesus, even if they weren't the ones doing it. They should have noticed that there's a lot of opposition, a lot of pushback, especially from the religious leaders. And again, all of this should have made them think. They should have been puzzling. They should have been wondering, man, are we doing it again? Like, are we missing what God is doing again, just like we did back with the prophets? Is, is that what, what's happening here? Is there something important that God is doing and we're totally oblivious? 
That's why Jesus says to them, you're hypocrites. Because while they were so confident in their ability to predict certain superficial, frivolous aspects of life like the weather, they weren't even interested in figuring out the much more significant, spiritual, cosmic events that were about to unfold. And so because of that, they were, they were totally unprepared. In fact, even after the crucifixion, even after the resurrection, even after Jesus had revealed himself to, to so many people, so many more people were just ignorant, blind to what this actually meant. And because of that, the consequences for them as individuals and as a nation were devastating. Uh, in the next chapter, uh, Luke 13, Jesus is going to arrive in Jerusalem, and before he enters the city, he prophesies over the city. And, and it's, it's a prophecy of, of woe. Uh, here's what he says in Luke 13, 34 and 35. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So it's a word of judgment because the people were unwilling to heed the warnings of Jesus. They weren't actually listening to what he was saying through his ministry. They weren't really interested in figuring out what was, what was going on. Jesus is saying, look, you're, you're really proud of yourselves. You can figure out when a storm is coming just by watching the sky. But you ignore all that God is trying to tell you about the storm of spiritual judgment that is about to fall upon you. So that was them. That's why they were hypocrites. That was the, the context of, of the day. The question now for us is, is this still true? Is this hypocrisy still present in human beings on the earth? And I think we'd have to say yes. Yes, I think, I think we'd have to say that it's actually gotten worse. Because, I mean, think of it this way. Hasn't humanity gotten better and better at interpreting things that are ultimately unimportant? and worse and worse at interpreting the things that, that really matter, like the consequential aspects of reality. Just, just think about all of the data that we are able to interpret these days. I mean, the weather, I knew that it was gonna be a high of what, like 41 today? Last week, that's how good our, our weather has gotten. We have complex you know, computer modeling systems to track everything from storm watches to, to disease outbreaks to currency collapses. I mean, human beings think deeply and critically about so many aspects of our planet and our culture, and for the most part, we love it. I mean, we're, we're into it. I mean, can you remember the, the first time that Amazon suggested a purchase for you, and you were like, I didn't even know I wanted that, but I do. Fantastic. Thank you, Amazon. We should be a little concerned about that, frankly, because it means they're listening to everything we say, but we should be even more concerned about what we are not paying attention to at all. Things like uh, the human soul. Things like our spiritual health. Things like God's activity in the world and in our lives. I mean, shouldn't someone be paying attention to how we are doing on, on a deep emotional and, and spiritual level? We get snapshots, of course. I mean, anyone will tell you that over the last few years, um, levels of anxiety and depression have been rising even before COVID. There's greater levels of fear and distrust in our society. There's less peace. 
out there in the world and in our own hearts. Think again of what Jesus was saying to the crowd. He was saying, look, you're, you're hypocrites. You know so much about how to interpret the world around you, but you're missing the most important, significant things that God is doing right under your noses. And the same is true for us. Very often, the same is true for us, certainly in the wider culture and even in our lives as, as individuals. I mean, think for a moment about what you use uh, your brain and your heart to do, what, what you're captivated by. My guess is that all of us spend a lot of time figuring out what would be best in our lives, uh, planning our finances, planning our vacations, organizing the apps on our phone, trying to organize our, our lives, our, our calendars. We have so many things that we're dialing in just perfectly to, to make things better and better and better. And, and none of that's necessarily bad, but could it be that we're missing some of the deeper things that God is wanting to do? Because, you know, God is, is wanting to do the same things today that he's been wanting to do since the beginning. Since Genesis 3, he... He's been wanting to grow us in really important, really significant ways, ways that will lead to our genuine peace and satisfaction and joy. He's been wanting to grow our awareness of sin, our, our understanding of what actions and what patterns of mind are going to lead us farther and farther away from God. He's been wanting to hone that in us. He's been wanting to lead us into greater steps of faith, to have us step into situations that are uncomfortable, that are difficult, that are dangerous because it's gonna grow us. It's gonna grow our faith in him, our trust in him. He's been wanting to lead us to those places. Very often we're hesitant to go there. And first and foremost, he's been wanting to grow our understanding of the glory of Jesus. That we would genuinely be able to see Jesus for who he is as our glorious savior and Lord. Can I ask you, do you think it may be that you're missing some of these things? that God is wanting to do in your life? Could it be that, that you're missing some of these truly important things that God is wanting to do? Could there be a sign? <laughs> Let me read to you uh, verse 56 again, where Jesus says, you, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? It's a rebuke from Jesus to the crowd and to us. But notice, it's a rebuke in love. It really is a rebuke in love. And we're going to see that as we, as we continue on through the text. Jesus really wants to help us. And so he moves from a rebuke to a warning. Also a warning in love. The imagery shifts, though, as well. We go from, from clouds, from the weather, to a courtroom. And so here's our second point. Firstly, we are hypocrites. Secondly, we are guilty as charged. And this begins in verse 57. He says, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Um, I'm not sure about you, I've been to a courthouse on a couple of occasions, not for me, for other people that have been helping, um, and these words 
from Jesus, they sound a lot like uh, legal advice from like a duty council. So duty council are those lawyers paid by the court. They're there for those people who don't have representation. So if you're coming into the courthouse, you have a trial, you have to go before a judge, you can go to the duty council, they'll look over your case and they'll help you to navigate the, the legal system and they give advice. This, this feels like this is what's going on right now. In fact, if you look at this imagery, uh, we are pictured as being dragged into the courthouse, accused of a crime, about to stand trial before a judge, and Jesus gives us some very important legal advice. I'm just going to read it to you. Verse 58, he says, Make an effort to settle with him, with your accuser, on the way. You see what this advice is? This sounds to me like a plea deal. A plea deal. So a plea deal, we probably know, we all watch uh, cop shows, but a plea deal um, is when an accused person uh, agrees to plead guilty for a lesser sentence, usually. Some, some sort of a deal between the defense and the prosecution. So if you're accused of a crime, you might say, okay, I plead guilty to that crime, uh, and I'll get five years in jail rather than maybe the 10 or 15 that I could have gotten if I went to trial. So plea deals uh, only really make sense when you are guilty, or when the case against you is very, very strong. If you're innocent, or if the case against you is very weak, pretty much every lawyer is gonna say, well, go to trial. Go to trial, because in, in the trial, all of the evidence will be brought you know, forth, and the jury or the judge will, will rule in your favor, your name will be cleared, that's the best case scenario when you're innocent. But notice, that's not the advice that Jesus gives. He doesn't tell us to go to trial because because we are not innocent, we're guilty. See, the courthouse being pictured here is not a human court of law, it's a picture of the final judgment, the courtroom of God. And what Jesus is saying is, look, we are all guilty of sin, and the evidence against us is very strong. Like if you were to get one of those CSI teams, and they were just to look at your life and then have the law of God, you know, thou shalt not steal, not lust, worship only God. It would take them like 12 minutes just to look at your life without even reading your mind or your heart. And they would conclude, no, there, there's definitely sin here. There's definitely guilt here. And on the final day of judgment, your whole life, everything that you think, everything you feel, everything will be revealed. It's very clear as human beings that we are guilty we have exchanged the glory of God for our own. And in fact, the Bible goes to great lengths to make sure that we're clear about this. This is not the first time that Jesus has spoken about this. Uh, and in fact, as the New Testament goes on, it becomes even more clear. So I'm going to read uh, to you, and it'll be up on the screen uh, at length a bit, Romans chapter 3. And what I want you to do is, as I read through it, think to yourself, not necessarily is everything here true about me, but, it, but is there anything here that is true about me? Here's what it says, starting in verse 10. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, it may not be that our feet have been swift to shed blood, but I think it's pretty clear that, that we have had bitterness under our tongue, that we had deceit 
on our lips that we have not feared God in the way that we should. See, we have no hope of standing before the throne of God's judgment. We're all guilty. And the consequences of that guilt are very, very real. In fact, Jesus, he speaks about them in the passage. Verse 58 says, the judge will hand you over to the officer. The officer will put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny, which is another way of saying, look, you'll, you'll never finish paying off the debt of sin. Hell is an eternal prison for those who have committed heinous crimes against an infinite God, which is why Jesus says to us so clearly, look, you need to plead. You need to settle. You, you, you can't expect to go at the end of your life and stand before the throne of God and for things to go well. You don't want to go to trial. You, you need to settle. You, you need the hope of a plea deal. And by the grace and power of God, that's all the hope we need. In fact, that is the hope of the Bible. That is the hope of the gospel. That there's a way for us to settle our case with God before trial. And this brings us to our third point. Third point, which is this. We can be justified by Jesus. Justified. Um, That word is a legal term. It means to be declared innocent, to be declared righteous. And a little later on in uh, Romans 3, we have, we have this, which, which gives the hope, gives the, the depth of our sin and then the hope of the gospel. Here it is, beginning in verse 23, Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So that is the hope. In Christ, our record is wiped clean. In Christ, we don't serve any time for our crimes. In Christ, we have the settlement that we need because he propitiated himself for us, which is a theological word which which means he sacrificed himself for us. He gave himself to appease the justice of the court, to appease the wrath of God. This is the core of, of the Christian faith. This is the reason that we plant churches. This is the reason that that we live in such a way that that hopefully people will notice who we are and will ask us about what we believe because there is a hope that is rooted in the work of Christ and not in ourselves. In fact, this this is what Jesus was on his way to accomplish. When he's speaking this text here in Luke, he's he's on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And all of this makes the second question that Jesus asked the crowd all the more significant for them and especially for us. So he asked in verse 57 this, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Meaning, you guys are so, you're so good at figuring out so much of the world. Can you not see the, the rightness, the wisdom of finding a settlement with God? Now for the people of the day, I mean, they should have felt that, known that, responded to that. They, they should have known the character of God, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness is, is shown all through the Old Testament, but they would not have known ultimately how that would be possible. He hadn't gone to the cross yet, but for us, for us, it's all that much more significant because we see the full picture. We see the full answer, the full legal brief in terms of how the plea deal will work. We know, we know what it means 2,000 years later that Jesus went to the cross, that he died on our behalf, that he rose again. We have the entire Bible 
revealing who Christ is? So the question is all the more significant and convicting for us, how, how could we miss that and focus on so many other things in our lives? See, here's the picture that comes to my mind when I, when I think of this. Uh, I think of us as human beings uh, like interior designers for condemned houses. I'm not sure about you, but during COVID time, I've done some renovation, okay? I looked around like everyone else in the world and said, uh, we need some paint, we need uh, something. So I went to Home Depot with everyone else in the world, all the prices went up. <sighs> Renovations are a good thing. It's not a bad thing to, to make things look better. We, we, we like to freshen up our space, fair enough. But no one, no one would put time and energy and effort and money into a space that wasn't safe to live in. I mean, why would, you, why would you do that? Why would you put new tile on the floor and a new backsplash if the building was going to collapse? See, that's what Jesus is saying. In fact, if you look back through th this portion of Luke, he says it over and over and over again. He says, look, it's foolish to invest in this life and, and not realize that there's investments to be made in the life to come. It's foolish to focus on this life and not take care of your eternal destiny. Back in earlier in Luke chapter 12, there's a parable Jesus tells about a man who, um, who has a farm. It's doing very well. I mean, so well that, that he stands there and he has such an abundance of crops that he said, I got to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And, and then uh, my whole future will be set. He has enough money represented in those crops if he stores it well. I mean, he's in the middle of planning for the next decades of his life. He's probably going to hire someone else to run the farm. He doesn't have to worry about it. He's got enough. He's got an abundance. And in that very moment, God comes to him. And here's what God says, Luke 12, 20. He says, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The man had everything he needed except the one thing that he really needed. He was not prepared. All of his hope, all, all of his certainty was in the, the things in front of him, the things of this world. He hadn't been thinking at all about his eternal future. See, that's, that's why this, these questions that Jesus is asking are so relevant for them and for us. Again, verse 56, why do you not know how to interpret the present time? I think Jesus knew the answer. And I think we do too. We don't know how to do it because our minds and our hearts are captivated by so many other seemingly important things which are really not that important. We're missing what God is really doing. So I think there's two points of application here. The first is for those who don't, don't have faith. If you're here this morning, if you're, if you're tuning in online and you don't have faith in Jesus, the word for you this morning is it's not too late. You're not in the courtroom yet. You're not yet standing before God. There's still time to attend to your eternal future. And the Bible's so clear. All that we need to do is acknowledge the things that are clearly true about us. That sin is present, not just in the things that we do, but in our very heart. That we need a Savior. We need a way to answer for our sin. And by the grace of God, Jesus has done that for us. We need to repent and believe and find peace with God through Jesus, attend to the eternal state of our soul, and then from that, live in such a way that we honor our Savior. But if we do have faith, the application is in a sense just as strong. 
Because what he's saying is, look, we need to stop just watching the sky. We need to stop being fascinated by our ability to figure out the most inconsequential things of life. We need to stop being overjoyed and captivated by those things which are so small, so trivial. And we're all guilty of it. I mean, look, if I go home today and I mount the stairs of, of my house and I get to the door and there's a little brown box there, I'm really excited. Like, I don't know what's in it, but there's something in it, hopefully for me, frankly, it's, it's usually not for me, uh, it's usually for someone else in our family, but that box represents something exciting, something that someone has spent a lot of time scrolling and surfing and clicking and figuring out the, the exact, you know, alarm clock or thing or whatever it's going to do to make my life better. I'm always captivated by that, and we have to be careful of that because we can be captivated by that so much that we, we miss. In fact, we get unaccustomed to going deep and trying to discern what it is that God is actually trying to do in our lives. Now hear me. Jesus is not just trying to make us feel bad. Like he doesn't want us to go from this place and think to ourselves, okay, what am I going to do this afternoon? I have to do something consequential. I was going to get a booster juice, but that doesn't seem consequential. I got to do something significant. It's, it's not that. It's not that we shouldn't enjoy our lives. He, Jesus is like a good friend. And he knows that, look, if we are really going to have joy and peace in our life, we need to make sure that the important things are taken care of first. Once they are taken care of, then from that will will flow real, genuine blessing and life. See, those things that God wants to do in us, they're things he's going to be doing continually. And so we should be giving attention. And by that, I mean in, in the word, in prayer, Spending some time, if you haven't done this in a while, I'd encourage you to and just be in prayer saying, Lord, Lord, where is it that I'm not seeing the sin in my life that I need to see? Are you trying to grow in me an awareness of sin and I've just been reluctant to look? Where is it, Lord Jesus, that you were wanting to to have me step out in faith and I just haven't been willing? Because it is it is uncertain. And, and it, it does make me afraid, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong. Where are you leading me so that my faith will really grow? And Jesus, how are you trying to grow in me a greater understanding of your glory so that I may be truly captivated by you and not by these other dimmer lights around me? See, these are questions that it's very easy for us not to ask. In fact, it'd be very easy to go from, from here and not think about them ever again, or at least anytime soon. There's, there's so many other things that, that tug at our hearts and our minds. And yet what Jesus is saying is, look, there are some things that we can't miss, and we need to be intentional about them. We need to purposefully put ourselves in a position that by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, He can grow us in the ways that are significant, consequential for our lives, for our eternity, and for the people around us. Because we, once we come to a place where we have those things figured out, we are a conduit of blessing, a conduit of help and, and mercy, of, of, of gospel grace to the people in our lives. So I'm going to pray that for us as we close. I'm going to pray for the short church, even for the church in the Lower Mainland, that we would not miss what God is doing and that we would follow him faithfully so that we could be blessed and be a blessing to others. I invite you to join me as I pray. Lord Jesus,
I thank you for the hard words that you speak. Lord, they're not hard for, for hardness sake, but they are hard because you really love us, because you want the best for us. And so I pray for us as a church, I pray, Lord Jesus, that each one here would respond to that uh, tug, perhaps, in their conscience or that, that tug in their heart where your spirit is moving them, wanting them to give some time and attention to examining their life, to examining their faith. Lord, that we all might grow closer to you, that we might see the, the things of this world for what they truly are, some of them important to a certain degree, but, but not in the ultimate sense. And so, Lord, we need to pattern our lives after you. Lord, I pray against the hypocrisy that makes us so um, proud of ourselves for the way that we're living our lives, even when we can be totally ignoring what you want us to see. Lord, would you help to shine a light onto the darkness of that sin and the blindness of our hearts? And I do pray, Lord, for the short church. May you guide them. May you lead them in this time that they may each as individuals go closer to you. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone watching or listening who does not yet have faith, move in their hearts. Bring them to the place of seeing their need for a settlement with you through Christ. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.